This is the Holland Assets Podcast, where we'll show you how to go from employee truck driver to savvy business owner. And we'll do it together because we're starting our own trucking company, Holland Assets. So you'll get a front row seat through the whole process. Together with some experts in the field, we'll teach you how to set up a business, buy a truck, get your DOT and MC numbers, get insurance, and a lot more. Thanks for joining us. Welcome everybody to the Holland Assets Podcast. I am Craig, and over there he is Chris on the road again. On the well, you know, I feel like I heard that somewhere. Is that a song lyric <laughs> of some kind? You you might be onto something. <laughs> so uh, today, Chris, we are going to be talking about buying a trailer, and more than that, choosing and then buying a trailer. As we'll be getting into a lot of that, and at the end of this episode, I hope people stick around. You mentioned at the end of the last one. Uh, that you were hoping to uh, institute a kind of Q and A at the end of episodes, and we've got some questions. We got we got a couple interesting questions around uh, purchasing versus leasing trucks, and so we'll be talking about that at the very end of this episode. Uh, but today, it's primarily going to be about choosing and purchasing a trailer. Uh, this is going to be an interesting topic. I suspect that it will be, uh, you know, similarly important to the actual truck decision. Um, but before we talk about that, I was just curious, you're still out on the road. Is there anything, uh, anything interesting happening to you lately? Yeah. So a, a little over a week ago, the load that took me out of Utah was, uh, ha- had some hiccups. So I, I go, I get the rate sheet that tells me where I'm, where and when I'm supposed to pick up, where and when I'm supposed to drop off. So this is kind of an interesting load because it, it picks up in Ogden, Utah, which is really only 25, 30 minutes away from my house on, on a Thursday afternoon. So I go pick it up and the first drop off is 15 minutes away in Layton, Utah. I'm supposed to drop off a whopping eight pallets there on (laughs) Friday night and then take the rest of the load to Indiana. So I, I pick up on Thursday. I get to hang out a little bit longer with my family. Friday night, I head to the re- first receiver, the first drop-off point to drop off my load. I get there a little after 8, so about an hour before my showtime. I, I check in at the guard shack, and they start handling all the paperwork. And then they look at me, and they say, you were actually supposed to be here last night at 9 o'clock. Like, well, Ooh, that's ouch. not what my, yeah, it kind of sucked. And I'm like, that's not what my paperwork said. Well, and they're like, well, that's what we have in our system. And oh, by the way, it's a freezer load and the freezer group is closed tonight. They're closed tomorrow night. So <laughs> you're not going to be able to come out until Sunday night at the soonest. So I ended up getting stuck two extra days at home. But my family had gone out of town on Saturday, so I didn't even get to hang out with my family. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> that whole time, I was at home by myself doing nothing and then ended up leaving late Sunday. Didn't get to Indiana. I was supposed to be there Monday morning. Didn't get there till Wednesday afternoon. But luckily, it was the broker's fault, so I didn't get in trouble. Nobody got mad at me, but they, they ended up paying me just a, a little bit of uh downtime for those two days but it's still not as good as uh keeping the wheels turning yeah you gotta deliver more loads if you want more cash but uh oh that's that sucks well silver linings it wasn't your fault i assume if it had been your fault you'd just be out of luck at that point yeah there's nothing you can do when it's your own fault well uh (laughs) that's much like uh much like every time i wreck a car 
so, uh, Chris, what are we covering today then? Today we are talking about trailers. So we're going to kind of cover two pieces of it. Um, deciding what type of trailer to buy, and then we're going to talk about some buying tips and what kind of some of the things to look for as you're actually buying a trailer. Um, okay, sounds good. Let's uh, get started with the, I, I assume there are categories. Now, I've if I have understood correctly, you know, cause I've been listening. Thank you very much, Chris. Uh, we've got, let me see if I can name them. There's flatbeds, there's reefers, which is not uh, illicit interstate product moving. That's uh, refrigerated units, right? Um, <laughs> that's correct. And then I don't know what the third kind would be called. Normal, regular, uh, you know, decaf, um, whatever. <laughs> they, they usually call them dry vans. Dry vans. A okay. Dry van. All right. Yep. And uh, any others that I'm missing? No, but those are the there. There are lots of different types of trailers, but those are kind of the big three that ninety-five percent of the people are going to have one of those three types of trailers. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so uh, what do you want to start with? Well, so last week when we were talking about getting loads, I, I, I kind of briefly mentioned that these topics are somewhat related, and and the reason behind that is is because you need to know what type of cargo you're going to haul and what kind of loads are going to make the most sense for you to haul before you can decide what type of trailer that you're, you're going to purchase. So I, I think, in my opinion, you need to know the type of loads, and that's going to help determine the type of trailer. And how do you get to know which type of loads? I mean, based on our previous discussions, it's, uh, it sounds like it could be anything, you know, kind of depending on what uh, you know, what you're finding at the moment, right? Yeah, exactly. So let, let's kind of take a take a step back and go back into last week, and we'll talk kind of about some of those categories that we talked about: brokers and shippers, load boards, dispatchers. So let's say you're a driver, one of those lucky few that already has a good relationship with either a broker or a shipper. And if you've got that good relationship with that broker or shipper, they typically have a a, a specific type of load that they handle. And so that's really going to be what dictates what type of trailer you've got. So if, if your relationship is with a shipper that, that does uh, refrigerated goods, you're going to get a reefer. Um, if, it, if they haul dry van, you may get dry van. So, so that, that's really kind of your first determining factor. If you're working with, uh, directly with a broker or shipper already. Gotcha. And, and you left dry or you left flatbeds off that. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll get into flatbeds a little bit later because they're kind of they're a, a little bit more tricky. So we'll get kind of in the specifics with them first. Let's let's talk a little bit about load boards. Okay. Load boards first. So if if you're going to find all your loads, you're not going to use a dispatcher. You're just going to use your own a, a load board to find loads. Um, one of the things I would recommend doing is before you actually even buy a trailer or start thinking about things. And, and as soon as you kind of get into the process and you know, you're going to do load boards, I'd actually subscribe to that load board right away and start looking at loads coming out of your area of the country, because you know, different parts of the country are, are typically known for different types of cargo and different types of freight. So if you're in an area that has a lot of reefer loads going out of it, you're probably going to want to buy a reefer. If you're in an area that has a lot of, um, dry van loads, you're, you're going to maybe want to get a dry van. So that should be a determining factor is, is trying to figure out what kind of loads are the most common in your area where you're going to operate. Gotcha. And, and what about you and your situation? You're in the Northern Utah area. Uh, did that kind of help you determine what you were going to go for? It did. Yeah. Um, Utah's 
got a lot of, especially northern Utah, southern Idaho has a lot of refrigerated loads. And that's what I decided to go with. But before I made the decision of that's what I wanted to go with, I knew I was going to use a dispatcher. So I started talking to several different dispatchers and interviewing dispatchers and really getting their recommendations. And so if that's the route you plan on using, you know, as you're interviewing dispatchers before you buy a trailer, I would, you know, kind of get their recommendations and see what they, what they say, because you definitely want to be on the same page with your dispatcher. And, you know, if your dispatcher is telling you reefer, you should buy reefer. If, if your dispatcher, uh, you know, you talk to a bunch of dispatchers and they say in your area, you should get a dry van then that's probably what you should get. So definitely talk to your, uh, the dispatcher. And when you hire that dispatcher, make sure you and the dispatcher are on the same page as far as what uh, what type of load you're going to haul and what type of trailer you need. Yeah, that makes sense. And I mean, you were saying in the last episode that uh, that in your opinion, 90% of people out there who are starting their own company are, are going to be foolish if they don't go with that dispatcher, right? And so um, cultivating that relationship is important. Yeah, it definitely is. You definitely want to, you got, you need to be on the same page with that dispatcher and, and make sure, you know, you're both on the same page with the, the cargo you're going to haul and the, the type of trailer you're going to, you're going to need. Gotcha. Gotcha. So um, at this point now, I, I do want to ask you a little bit more about flatbeds. You, you've been a little bit cagey about them, but let's talk about <laughs> flatbeds a little bit and, and why you kind of feel that way about them. All right, yeah, flatbeds are uh, uh, every type of trailer has pros and cons, you know, flatbeds included. So flatbeds oftentimes have really good rates. You can make really good money at them, but they're also, you know, kind of because of that, they're they're a little bit more tricky. Um, you know, with flatbeds, you typically have to, you know, with any type of trailer that you've got, the driver's ultimately um, in charge of or responsible for the securement of the load. So you need to make sure that load's secure and it's not going to be bouncing around as you're driving down the road. And that becomes especially important with uh, flatbeds because you actually, there's a, it's way more involved securing that load. You may have to use tarps, you may have to use chains, you may have to use binders. There's just a lot of different things that go into making sure that load's secured, rules that you have to follow. You know, uh, on, a, on a DOT inspection, they're going to really inspect that load and make sure it's it's securely attached to the flatbed. So it's just, it's 10 times more complicated, complicated just in the securement piece. And if you don't have experience there, um, it's typically more than, than you're going to be able to handle without having been taught to do that and done it for a while yourself. Yeah. So it's like, um, the, the, the advanced school of trucking, uh, flatbeds. Yeah, definitely. So I, you know, one, if, if you're using a dispatcher, make sure your dispatcher has got experience with flatbeds and then you yourself as a driver need to have the experience with them too. Another thing that makes flatbeds tricky is a lot of the flatbed loads are either oversized or overweight. So you, you need to know how to navigate that world um, and get oversized overweight permits. And and you typically have to get one in every state that you cross through and it, it just becomes, a little bit of a headache and more complicated. You just you just really have to know what you're doing because there's lots of um, I's you have to dot and T's you have to cross. Right, that makes sense. Now, um, so you're talking about the pros and cons of a flatbed, and from what I'm understanding, there's there. I don't know if I'd even call them cons. They're more just like things you got to be aware of that they are more complex and you know require that uh, that knowledge and experience. Uh, but the pro 
on the flip side of that is better rates, right? And that's yeah, you, that's essentially really the big rates. pro, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And and so now if we shift over to talking about uh, refrigerated loads versus the dr- the dry vans, um, you've mentioned in the past that you've been hauling refrigerated loads. Uh, maybe you can talk about some of the pros and cons and why you decided to go the way you did um, with those two types of, of vans. Yeah, so let, let's kind of go over the pros and cons of both kind of simultaneously. So if you look at dry vans, um, one of the one of the advantages of a dry van is the cheaper to buy. Uh, you know, when you're buying a dry van, you're essentially just buying the van. When you're buying a reefer, you're buying that same van, but it's got insulation in the walls. It's got a motor on the front with an air conditioning unit on it. So it's obviously gonna be a lot more expensive to buy. So that's kind of the, the pro of the dry van, cheaper to buy, the con of the reefer, it's more expensive to buy. Sure, and it's. Uh, I imagine when you talk about insulating walls, you're you're talking about taking up quite a bit of space. I mean, uh, you know, I've insulated a few walls myself. You want a little space in there, and so uh, are you taking away quite a bit of cargo area as well? You are not, not a ton of cargo area, but sometimes enough because there, you know, there's there's kind of two factors that go in with that reefer unit and that extra insulation. Is that trailer's going to weigh more, and then also, yeah, like you're saying, there's less volume that you can hold inside of the trailer. The, the volume does become an issue on some loads because they, they, you know, some things won't fit inside a, a reefer van that will fit inside of a dry van. But more so than that, too, is just weight. You know, that, that uh, reefer trailer weighs enough more that you just can't carry as much weight typically on a, on a reefer trailer as you can on a dry van. That makes sense. Well, to be honest, you're kind of selling me on a dry van here. <laughs> are there any are there any cons to it? Yeah, they're all. You know, one, you typically don't get paid as much for a, a dry load as you would a reefer load, so so that's a, a big con. And another one of the things that I that I think a lot of people don't think about is there's just not as as many loads available to a dry van as there are to a reefer because 90 i i'm just kind of pulling this number out of my hat i don't know if this is the exact number but you know say 90 percent of the dry van loads can also be um carried by a reefer so you're a lot less likely to get stuck in an area because you're just going to have more loads to pick from you can haul if you're in a reefer trailer you can haul all the reefer loads and you can probably haul 90 ish percent of all the dry van loads that are out there so you you just got a lot more um a lot more tools in your tool belt gotcha yeah because i guess um you you don't have to take advantage of that refrigeration unit you just shut that ac off and suddenly it's uh a really heavy dry van, right? Yeah, exactly. I, I probably, I would bet about a quarter of the loads I've hauled have been dry loads. Okay. And uh, is when you decide to grab a, a dry, or sorry, a, a non-reefer load, um, is that is that typically just because, hey, I want to get back to this part of the country. I want to, you know, is it because that's what's available or is there any other strategy that goes into it? Usually it's because that's what the best available yeah. is that dry load. So that's, yeah, usually. And and a lot of times that comes into, you're trying to get to a specific location because gotcha. most places you're going to be able to find loads out of it. But if you're wanting to get to a certain part of the country or say, maybe I'm trying to move West, um, you're, you know, that, that, 
dry load may get me exactly where I need to go for a decent price. Well, and I also would imagine that uh, it, it kind of works the other way around where, okay, you're, you're in Missouri and you're trying to get back to Portland or whatever. Um, and the only loads are refrigerated loads. Well, if you're in a dry van, you're kind of your SOL. If you've got that reefer unit, then you can, you can grab those loads. It's like you're saying, it gives you those more options. It's like, the utility infielder of, uh, of, uh, trailers. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's why I'm a kind of a fan of reefers is just, you've got more options. Yeah. And, uh, you said, you said that flatbeds get paid a bunch reefers get paid a little more than dry vans. Is it significantly more? Is there, is there a kind of a range that you would expect per mile? Yeah. I, I, most of what I've seen is you're typically getting paid, 10 to 30 cents a mile more on a reefer load than you are on a dry van load. Well, that's not bad. Yeah, so it's it's a significant amount. Yeah, for sure. But are there, uh, the, the next question I wanted to ask you is if there are any disadvantages, any downsides to a reefer unit? Yeah, there, there definitely are. In my opinion, they're, they're fairly minor and they're things that you can, can overcome. You know, first and foremost is that extra upfront cost. Or you're definitely going to pay more for a reefer trailer than you are a dry van because you're paying for that that engine that sits on the front of it. You're paying for the AC unit. You're paying for the insulation. So it's just going to cost you more. But sure. you, that, that's a big part of the reason why you get paid more. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do I get to ask yet about how much more you'd be looking at for a reefer unit versus a dry van? Um, it, it's typically going to be tens of thousands of dollars. Oof. Okay. Oof. Yeah, so Oof. They're, they're they're quite a bit more expensive. Okay. Well, now we know why I don't own a trucking company yet. <laughs> <laughs> and. You know, there, there's also things that can go wrong. I mean, it, it's another mechanical piece of equipment that you've got to maintain. So there's things that can go wrong with it. There, you've got mechanical breakdowns. Also, with the reefer unit, you can run into driver errors that cause you problems. You, you know, they're they're a piece of equipment. You have to learn how to operate it, um, and and you've got to pay attention to detail or you can get yourself in trouble. Right, right. When you started out and you bought your first truck and trailer, you went for a reefer unit. Did you worry at all about uh, you know, oh, I'm not sure if I'm going to be quite, you know, up to snuff on this. I did, yeah. So I, I went into it with a reefer with, with really no reefer experience. But they're really not that complicated to operate. It's just a matter of really paying attention to detail. So, like, for example, when you go pick up a reefer load, you got to be extra vigilant of the paperwork because that's going to tell you um, what temperature you've got to operate the reefer at, what mode it's got to be on, um, you know, just a bunch of things like that. Um, when you drop the load off at the res the the receiver, you've got to pay attention to the paperwork again and and make sure that you know the the load was the the full load was received and nothing was rejected on the load because that that's you know a partial or full load rejection is a lot more common on a reefer load than than anything else. You you take for example, Jake, my dispatcher was telling me a, a story a few weeks ago about. Uh, a guy that it's a, it's an employee driver, not an owner operator, but an employee driver that he manages for a trucking company owner that he, he works for. So the, um, the driver had gone in, I, he was hauling some kind of produce. I can't even remember what it was, but he goes in and he, um, drops the load off, grabs the paperwork, doesn't look at anything and just leaves. 
and he doesn't look at the paperwork till like 14 hours later, just before he's got to go pick up his next load. And he, he sends the paperwork into Jake and Jake looks at it. Well, part of the load had got rejected, never got unloaded off of his truck. And it was spoiling in the back of his truck. Awesome. And so, yeah, <laughs> it, it just created a, a huge nightmare. So, it, it, so check your paperwork, ladies and gentlemen. Check your paperwork. And then, you know, while you're out on the road too, you know, I, I'm like a, an extra paranoid person. So, and I probably do this way more than I need to, but I'm constantly checking the temperature, making sure it's where it's supposed to be. I'm constantly making sure there's fuel in the reefer and I'm not running it out. Just, you know, you just got to be extra vigilant and extra careful of those things. And they're, they're, they're really not hard things to do. It's just a matter of that paying attention to detail and be careful, being careful with what you're doing. Right. It kind of just sounds like it's not as much uh, a difficult skill. It's just getting into certain habits, right? Uh, best practices to make sure that you're doing it right. Absolutely. That's a good way of putting it, Craig. So you decided to buy a reefer. And, and if I can just kind of tie together a few of the things that you've mentioned already, uh, you decided to buy a reefer because I assume Jake, your dispatcher, recommended it because you, you said that that's a lot of what comes out of northern Utah, southern Idaho, right? Um, yep, that's what he recommended. And it, and it gives you a, a lot more options when you are out in other parts of the country uh, where potentially reefer loads are going to be a better option for you. Yep. Okay. All right. Well, let's talk then about actually buying the trailer. When you were out uh, getting ready to buy a trailer and Jake said, hey, go get a reefer unit. What did you start looking for? Like what were the, what was your checklist? So the, the biggest things, um, buying a trailer is not as complicated as buying a truck. You know, there's not as many moving parts and not as many things that can go wrong with it. And typically buying something that's a little bit older isn't going to be as big of a deal with a trailer, especially if you're buying just a dry van or a flatbed. And with a reefer, you need to be a little bit more careful. But the things you kind of need to just, you know, make make sure you check out or, or to make sure that it's mechanically sound. You know, in, in my opinion, that trailer should last you at least five years you shouldn't buy a trailer that is going to last you less than five years um so you know have a mechanic look at it um if you do get a reefer have you know if, if you buy a carrier a reefer with a carrier on it go to the carrier dealership have them look it over real quick or what's a, you know, a, if you what's buy a, a carrier so it's it's the model like like carrier on your air conditioner oh, okay. at home. Sure, okay. Same same company. They they build the reefer units for trailers. Thermal Kings another really common brand. Those are, those are the two biggest ones, Carrier and Thermal King. So whichever one you're looking at buying, just before you buy it, if everything else looked good, send it to the mechanic to the Thermal King or the carrier dealer and have them look it over and, and just make sure there aren't any red flags with it. And also have them do a DOT inspection just to make sure there's, you know, you're, you're passing the DOT inspections and not going to have any problems with it. Is it difficult to get all those uh, inspections lined up, the mechanic, the DOT stuff? Uh, it, it, was it time consuming or were you able to get through it pretty quick? No, usually if you call ahead of time and like half a day is, is typically all you have to leave it. If that, a lot of times you can just go in there. You know, if you're just having to do a check like that, a lot of times, you know, you take it an hour or two later, you're out and they'll have looked it over. They'll, they'll tell you how much longer your tires are going to last, how close you are to need brakes. If you're buying something, a, a new trailer like that, I, you know, if the trailers, if the tires or the brakes are bad, um, I, I, I try to negotiate with the dealer to get them replaced. Right. 
And uh, now a lot of these things, you know, the, the tires, the brakes, uh, they sound like they're good advice for pretty much any trailer. Uh, with reefers specifically, you mentioned the AC unit. Do you also uh, need to worry about the insulation and the walls on that thing? No, the, the, as long as there aren't like big gouges or anything like that, you know, stuff that's that's fairly obvious. You want to make sure the doors seal and 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 there aren't any gaps or anything glaring like that. But but typically, um, damage to a trailer is fairly obvious. Um, because you know somebody's ran a forklift into it or done something like that, and and most of the time the dealerships will fix that fix that kind of thing before they sell it. Right. And so, how do they measure? You said they'll they'll let you know kind of how much life is left on the trailer. How do they measure that? Is it in miles? Is it in hours? Is it some other way? On a reefer, it's typically in hours. So on on a reefer unit, I, mine had twelve thousand hours when I bought it, and typically they can go for a good twenty five to thirty thousand hours before they need to be rebuilt. Okay, you said how many hours did your have? Yours have twelve thousand. Twelve thousand. Okay, so you've got uh, a little while left on it. But how many uh, yeah, how should... many hours do you put on it in a year? Do you think? Um, three to four thousand. Oh, okay, not too bad. Typically, yeah. So it's got a lot of life left in that. Yeah, and, and usually about every three thousand miles, you have to do a mate or three thousand hours. You do maintenance on it. Um, you're you're and that, so that usually boils down to about once a year. You're doing a full blown maintenance on the reefer. Right, right. Now you mentioned something to me a while ago that I wanted to ask you more about. Uh, you said that when you're considering a reefer, you also have to consider whether or not you're going to travel into California. Um, and I I think you told me why, but darn if i can remember so tell me again about california why why do you have to worry about california yeah california likes to beat to their own drum they uh they have it's called the california air resources board which is a board that has a whole bunch of regulations wait to wait, try wait wait to reduce... tell, tell me again the name what was the name carb c-a-r-b it's an acronym c-a-r-b california air resources board the the anti-pollution is called carb i yeah (laughs) i love chris i I love politicians i just love them yeah it's adorable exactly okay sorry probably spent they probably spent like three hundred thousand dollars for somebody to think up that name (laughs) i don't doubt it i'm sorry i interrupted you okay tell me more about carb chris so to be able to enter into California, your trailer has to be carb compliant. And your, the dealership where you buy the trailer should be able to let you know whether it is carb compliant or not. And with, with reefers, they can be in compliance one day and out of compliance on the next. So you have to be extra careful. Typically with most reefer units, at the end of the seventh year, you have to do a pretty significant upgrade that costs about $7,000 or the trailer won't be in compliance again. So if you buy a reefer that's six years old, you may only have one more year of carb compliance. And then after that year, if you want to go back into California, you have to do like a $7,000 upgrade to the to the reefer unit to be in compliance again. Oh my gosh. How is anything getting into California? How, how's anybody accepting these loads? It's crazy. A lot, a lot of guys <laughs> just plain won't go into California. It's funny, right? You know, I've, I've been going I'm on the road for about three months now. I'm one state over from California, and I bought the trailer that I bought. I, it's a Great Dane Thermal King 
precedent S600. So this is one of the few that's actually lifetime compliant with CARB. I don't have to ever do that that upgrade. So I, I obviously paid a little bit more and thinking I'd go into California a lot more. I actually haven't even been into California yet, which kind of surprises me. I'm sure I will at some point, and it may be kind of you know the time of the year a little bit, the seasonality of it. But uh, you know, not going into California may not be necessarily that big of a deal. Right. And you, so you bought a, a pretty nice trailer. Then it sounds like I mean that was a very official sounding name. What was a great name? Something something. <laughs> yeah, Precedent S six hundred. Ooh, that's that's nice. Uh, it just it just sounds nice. I kind of want to live in that. Um, you can refrigerate me. Uh, so that being said, though, you have mentioned to me that you've had some issues with that trailer, and so you didn't purchase your way out of every issue, right? Yeah, I I bought I I spent more on a trailer than I was anticipating and got a newer one that I was anticipating just because I didn't want to have to deal with the headaches of, of reefer breakdowns. And within like the first three weeks, I started having problems with my reefer. And really what it boiled down to or what it appears to boil down to, and this is something that as you're looking at a reefer that you need to pay attention to is my trailer had just sat too long without being used. So it was on the dealer's lot. I They showed me the ticket uh, for when they had had the preventive maintenance done. And it was like early March of, of the same year that I bought it. And I ended up, you know, taking it off the lot a little after in about the middle of April. And so it sat there for at least a month and a half, if not longer on their lot. And I guess when they sit like that, the seals start to lose some of their ability to seal and freon will leak out. So basically what had just happened is that over time, enough of the freon leaked out that by the time I actually started using it, there wasn't a whole lot of freon. It was more than half empty. And so it started having a few problems. I took it into a, a, on one of my runs, took it into a, a thermal King dealership. They recharged it and they haven't been able to find find any leaks. I had it rechecked about a, a month and a half later, and they still say it's full. So it, it looks like it was just because it sat so long. So my my advice would be is is I would have them do a preventive maintenance or at least check the charge on it right before you take it off the lot. That makes sense. Yeah, seems like good advice. Well, uh any other tidbits that you would want to get into as far as uh, tips on buying a trailer? No, I think I think that probably about covers it. Just do your due diligence. Look look at a lot of trailers and uh, uh, look for a good priced one that uh, isn't going to be too old and cause your problems. Very good. Well, that's awesome. Maybe uh, it's time for us to leave trailers behind for a moment and talk about our Q and A portion. You ready for that? Yeah, let's do it. So if anybody is curious uh, to get their question answered, if you want to get your question answered, hit us up uh, at hollandassetsllc.com and go to the show notes there. Um, hit, hit up those show notes and submit a question, and we will uh, try to answer those on a future episode. You can also find us on Facebook, uh, Holland Assets on Facebook. No G, don't forget everybody. hollandassetsllc.com or Holland Assets on Facebook. Uh, go find us there, submit your questions. And we got uh, a few different questions, uh, or sorry, a few different questioners, but all kind of asking the same question. Uh, and so there's Michael and I'm sorry, what was the other name? Michael and Michael. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> Which I think is fantastic. Two Michaels so, asked the same question. Are both, we, are we sure, Facebook. are we sure, Chris, that this is not the same person? 
Oh, well, if he's got different, if he's just making up fake uh, Facebook profiles with different last names, I guess it could be the same person. <laughs> All right. So Michael and Michael were asking uh, about leasing versus buying a truck. Was it any more specific or was it just kind of what are the benefits there? They, they want to know if, if leasing was a good option. And and in leasing in, in the trucking world, you know, when you lease a car, you, it, you, you think of a car lease as something where you pay a certain amount of money for, you know, three years or so, and you get to use that car for the three years. And then after three years, you turn the car back in and you're done. Well, and there, there are those kind of leases in the trucking world as well, as well, but more common are guys who are leased on owner operators. And basically what that means is one of two things happens. A guy either already owns his truck and he goes and he runs under the authority of um, another motor carrier. So he's basically leasing his truck to the other motor carrier and you know he gets a, a certain percentage of, of every run that he does. That That's one way a, a lease works. Another way that they work and you, you hear horror stories about these, so you gotta be careful. They can be a good thing, but you've gotta be super careful is um, Trucking companies will try to entice people to come and work for them by saying, hey, if you come work for us, we'll do like, it's kind of like a lease to own program. You lease a truck after a certain amount of time, you'll own that truck, and which can be a good thing. But the problem is a lot of times is you kind of get trapped into working for somebody who, you know, maybe isn't the best carrier in the world and you, you have issues with them they can't keep you loaded they don't keep you running or you know there's there's all kinds of things that can happen so to answer that question it's kind of a hard thing to answer because you, you've kind of got the whole gamut you've got companies that are good to lease from and that can really be a good way to you know, in the meantime, if you can't afford a truck right away and to buy one outright, it's it's a way to get one. It's going to take you some time, and you definitely want to make sure you're um, you, you know who you're getting into bed with. Um, one of the things that I would recommend, the times that I see it work out most successfully, is when you've been an employee driver for that company for a while. You feel comfortable with them. You know them. They know you. You feel good about each other, and they've got a lease program, and you can go lease under them for a while and end up with a truck. So, yeah, so maybe jumping in blind isn't the best idea, but if you already have that relationship and you trust them, then it's all right. Yeah, typically that's a good way to put it. And I, the other thing I do is, is talk to other owner-operators who have run under that company and used their lease-to-own program. And if they've had good experiences, there's a decent chance you will too. But uh, definitely be extra careful before you uh, jump into bed with somebody on a lease-to-own program. Makes sense to me. Uh, all right. Well, hopefully that covers that question for Michael and Michael. Uh, don't want to forget that second Michael. So if anybody else has questions, like I said, hollandassetsllc.com is where you can go. Not only read the show notes for each of these episodes that we do, but you can also submit those questions there or hit us up on Facebook like Michael and Michael did and submit the questions there and we will be happy to answer them to the best of our ability. Chris, anything else Anything else I'm missing? Are we good to cut and run? I think we're good to cut and run. Everybody be safe. Have a good time on the road and... and uh... Thanks for listening. Share with your friends and we'll talk to you soon.